Hey guys, welcome back to the Rhythm Section. I'm Kyle Bodanis. This week we talked to Toronto recording artist Terrell Morris about his latest album, Lavender. We're going to talk about the process, working with producers, and the Toronto hip-hop scene. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. Alright guys, his latest project, Lavender, dropped about a week ago as we record this. It's excellent. If you haven't already checked it out, uh, I highly recommend it. Terrell Morris, welcome to the Rhythm Section. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, so how have you been with all this? You know, you, you dropped this album. You know, how do you feel when you drop a project? Putting out an album is always uh, interesting because I've been listening to it for so long on my end. Once it's out, it just it belongs to the world. So I uh, I feel a lot less pressure to listen back and perfect things. And I, I play it much less than I than I did before. It's a big relief to have it off my chest and have people have ears on it finally. So is there any anxiety when that happens? Like, are you kind of, do you ever worry about like how it's going to be received? Like, you know, what's, what's your process with that? Um, because of the, because we love the music so much, I think it's less of a worry about how it's going to be perceived and more of an excitement to see how it's going to be understood. So we, cause we make it for ourselves first and it's 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 more of an it's definitely more of an excitement. We're yeah, it's been it's been good so far, and I, I we haven't felt we feel anxious before, but afterwards it's just thank God it's finally out. But it's feeling really good. The whole team is really excited to just keep moving and working on the next thing. I believe on your Twitter feed it said this album was two years in the making. You know what was the process of making this album like? You know how how does one start uh, in that kind of endeavor? It's we started making lavender right around when we finished molasses, and we were in a different studio because Loesch does uh, all the recording, mixing, and mastering. So we were in a different studio, but right after we finished molasses, he moved to a new space, and it was really nice to be in a new setting and have a new feel that really lent to the uh, turning the vibe a little bit, a little bit more up tempo. We were more like closer to downtown. It was a lot better being where we were this time around because before we did most of the work ourselves. Like there was a few, there were other people on the project, don't get me wrong, but uh this time we brought in people from everywhere. We just all of our peers, all these pieces we've been putting together for years, we started to bring them in. So a lot of it was starting just the team and then bringing them in on sessions following. So it's it was a real gang kind of collective thing, this project, and I really enjoyed making it with everybody. I find this album builds on the sound of molasses. Uh, you know, it's kind of dotted with soul, you know, jazz-influenced hip-hop. You know, a track like Got the Love has elements of chill-out or house on it. What inspired this sound? Like, what what were you listening to going through, you know, when you were doing this? We were making a lot of music at the time. I w- I've always listened to a lot of neo-soul and R&B. That's kind of my, my default as far as what I listen to in my personal time. I bartended for years as well. I still bartend occasionally, actually. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of more upbeat and dance music there as well. So I get a nice, a nice balance from the two. I get to party and I get to lay back. But I, and I believe that kind of lended itself to 
the ups and downs of this project. It's a real roller coaster because that's sort of how my life is. It's always up and down. You know, I would like to go back further and talk about, you know, what were you listening to growing up? Like, how did the music thing start for you? Like, how did the how did the passion begin? I think the music passion for me was actually from family members. My mother sang in the choir. My father was a rapper in the 90s and then began producing afterwards. My stepfather made music as well. He was a rapper as well. It was I was all I was born and raised into it pretty much. But what I was listening to, my mom played a lot of Jill Scott, Tony Tony Tony, Erica Badu. She played all the the smoother tones and things. That was that was how most of my childhood was. I heard a little bit of everything because my grandmother she was playing the the old soul, but it was always the classics. Yeah, I think that's why I this kind of hit me because my baptism into you know music was you know when I was growing up I like would steal my aunt's albums. She's like eight years older than me, and it was like Tribe Called Quest, Fuji's. And yep. uh, more, you know, and then, you know, more jazz inspired hip hop and then, you know, soul uh, from my old man. And like when I listened to this, it kind of brought me into, you know, all those different things and it hit those notes. I think that's what I really enjoyed about it. It almost feels like something that you should be listening to at night. I like that. I I, uh, I think that's how it really feels for us as well. It, uh, it, it takes you into your own space. And that's kind of what that music did for me. And it sounds like what it did for you. And it's a lot easier to feel like you're in your own space at night. And like, do you have any musicians in the family? Like, or did you just pick it up? Um, everybody was vocalists in my family. A lot of vocalists and musicians were all around me. I just, I think I'm dabbing the furthest into it as as far as uh, musicality goes because I'm beginning to teach myself bass right now as well. I have to say a lot of the influence as far as musicians goes on this album. That has a lot to do with meeting, uh, working with Free and Loesch mm-hmm. and then bringing in Chris Weatherstone because those guys really introduced me to the world of you could, do, you could do more than just jump on a beat. There's so much more to it. And that was all I knew before. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's a lot more when you bring in other elements, you have so much more creativity and you can just things mold to what you want them to be or what, you, what they need to be. Do you ever get into situations where you know, things become stagnant and you have to, you know, shake things up. Yeah, that's actually how we started working with uh, Weatherstone. He came in with the sax <laughs> and we knew the, like we knew a song, I, I don't recall what song, I believe it was Field Test. It was Field Test. He came in and he, we didn't know what that extra piece was. And as soon as he came in, it fixed everything. And it's because you, we got to a point where we just needed another voice. And that's what the saxophone became for me. It's another voice. Well, I think as you were saying, you can get lost in the beat. You know what I mean? I, you know, if, if, and I think that it's, you know, a lot of the, the sax and, um, I think there's, you know, clarinet and oboe on one of the tracks. Um, there is. Yeah. And I, I feel like it added re- like really nice, um, color on top of, you know, what you were putting together. And I think, you know, that's where I think you find true originality, you know, in hip hop with, um, through lyrics, which we're good. I know I want to get to that process w- with you as well, but also in bringing in multiple instrumentation. And I thought you were able to do this very well. And it's done in a very, 
it doesn't feel out of it doesn't feel forced it feels very natural and i i, I think like when you're doing these you know these ta- like is is the, is the sax player coming in doing multiple takes um is he kind of feeling it out right away are you talking about what you're looking for like how does how do you collaborate you know w- with musicians uh you we get them in when we can we get them in with us there was one occasion where they couldn't because it was busty in the bass and those guys are all over the place we usually have to send off to them but when we can we get them in the room with us sometimes from the very beginning so with weatherstone we work in a way where he's more of a producer as well he makes the beat with us and he's a part of the process so i'm writing lyrics he's writing sax lines and that's why uh on a song like field test you hear us go back and forth it's because we were right there in the room with each other playing off of each other so it's not so much we want a huge sax line it's like no we just want another artist to be in here working on the song with us and that's the idea that we like to approach it with rather than just trying to add things to add things it's if it where it fits right it's gonna fit and sometimes it's just tucked in nicely and you don't hear too much and sometimes it's the star of the show and that's the way it should be i feel like in the digital age the idea of you know people vibing off each other in person is sometimes lost because you know in music it's a sending parts back and forth it definitely feels like this is a more organic process it is i um i've kind of lost the idea of sending beats back and forth i I don't remember the last song i made that i wasn't in the room with i'm i'm pretty much always there from the ground up and that's i think that's why all of the music is so cohesive even though it travels so many different places because it was a vibe that was it was a tone that was set right there with everybody yeah, it doesn't really travel in any places that that kind of don't belong. I was really kind. I was really impressed by um, the tightness of it sonically, and I mean, because you're going in different directions. Especially, you know, you, you know, you know, you have songs like uh, this woods, which is, you know, I feel like a little bit more of a, you know, it's a little bit more rooted in tr- more traditional hip hop. Whereas, yep. you know, there's acoustic tracks on this too, where you're, you're like channeling folk or the more um, classic R and B Otis Redding style of R and B, where you know it's acoustic, where it's a singer songwriter uh, type driven thing. And, and I thought that you were able to do with that fairly well. Do you get to a point when you're recording where you have to kind of shift things around into the, like to make them work like that? We haven't yet because we do make so many songs that we have we have a lot to choose from. Quite honestly, so it it. There, we could have made each of the sounds on that album. We could have made a whole album for each one, but we broke it down to a way that made sense because it's they were the earliest songs we wrote as well. They came out the they came out of us the quickest around molasses, and it just worked out like it, it was cohesive. Some I I don't even know what voice I'm going to use when I get in the booth. It just it comes to me. The tone was set because we we work so consistently together, so we can still continue off last week's session or yesterday's session. And I think that helped with making everything come out cohesively. We didn't have to do too much tailoring. It was, uh, there were points where we'd listen back and forth just to make sure it worked, but we didn't have to do too much altering to make it work. It came too nicely. You mentioned that there was a lot of music here. I love that it's only nine tracks because I think when if you listen to the rhythm section, uh, when Coburn and I are going back and forth, you know, I see these 20 song albums and i'm just like this is like where who's who's fucking editing this 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, because I feel that, um, because like, listen, any kind of, like when you get into 20 tracks, you're looking at a long album. I almost feel like if you stripped it down to the best 10, you know, it, it creates, you know, a way better experience. You know what I mean? And I also think that has something to do with, um, music starting to lean more on and i think that there maybe it's going in the other direction now but music's leaning more on the track rather than the album experience it is i agree with it leaning on the track more than the album experience uh, i think in this in this time right now people are listening to more albums because they've got the time so i think we're at a point where, where they're starting to get back to the root of it it's a uh, odd timing considering covid but that's what people have the time for and i think that worked out for me as well but that solid half hour, that's that's as long as I, I think anybody needs for an album. Just a, a half hour of listening, that's the perfect amount of time. Yeah, because you don't want to be skipping tracks. Like I, that, no. that's, that's what I kind of like about <laughs> this is that like just right from the beginning, um, it, it it kind of you know it kind of goes, and I I think that you're better to you know, put the the more unvarnished version, you know, of it, you know, out there without the, you know, without, without the, without the excess. You, you mentioned COVID in like how, first of all, how has that affected, you know, how have you been in from a life standpoint with that? And, you know, how did that affect the way, you know, this came together? We were actually going to put this album out closer to the top of the year, but we couldn't because we couldn't get the visual side of anything completed with everybody in isolation. Like I'm in Toronto, so just everything shut down. We couldn't have large enough groups to shoot. It took a lot longer, but it honestly came together in a better way for me because I wasn't trying to squeeze everything in. And I ended up working with Sideways Studio who I'm doing all of the, the visual aspect with. So they shot the Roxy video and I didn't meet them until further into the year. Well, I knew them rather, but I didn't start working with them on this project until further into the year. So it worked out in a strange way for me. It worked out well. And that's from an art standpoint. <laughs> from a personal life standpoint, it's a little it's a little different. You know, everybody's had their their times, but we're working through it. Yeah, I mean, you had mentioned that, you know, people have more time to listen to albums now. And I think it's kind of corresponding with a rise in you know instead of the multiple producer format kind of with albums you're seeing more like for example denzel curry just dropped one with kenny beats he's doing the whole thing um you know i mean 21 savage with metro boom and, and you're you're seeing more of uh, you know artists working with one producer and seeing what comes together for that and i think that's what's kind of fueling the uh the return of the album's importance so i think that's interesting that you know covid kind of fueled that as well I I agree. It, um, I think that uh, that's also speaks to, again, the musicality of all of, like getting back into hip hop because when you have one producer overseeing things, it's just they they're like the boss at the top, just moving all these parts. It's a it's it just sounds better. They get to know you better. They know what the project is supposed to be, and it becomes their project as well. Yeah, it becomes, I guess it adds, you know, even from a sonic point of view, you know, personal touch. You said that Loesch, um, uh executive produced this. He did. So I've been working with Loesch for, for years now. I haven't, there have been few other people who have recorded me in the last six years, I'd say. And uh, so after Molasses, he, he was the mixing and mastering 
engineer on Molasses as well and co-produced that with Free. But Loesch is the engineer, so he followed me over to this one and he's probably gonna be my, my executive producer for years to come. He just knows my voice better than any other producer I've worked with and it gets to, because I do all of these different voices, it gets to a point where he says, you don't need to be doing that voice right now. You know you should be doing this one. And he's right. <laughs> I get also with working with people, and I see this on the film side with me, I, I feel like working with people that you're familiar with uh, kind of creates a more honest relationship. Um, and there's more, because sometimes people are afraid to levy criticism, but sometimes that criticism is so crucial for the artistic process. It is. And uh, we we all have, we've got a working relationship where we're not afraid to say no. And we're not afraid to bump heads because at the end of the session, we're always happy with what comes out. And it's not to say when we bump heads, I can't even say it isn't personal because the music is personal, but it, but it always works out in the end. And that's why I love working with Free and Loesch. They, it's, e it's easy to get along with them because it's easy to argue with them. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely easier when, you know, you can, you know, again, that honesty where you can you know, say things and then it doesn't carry into the next day and um, it becomes personal in a good way where everyone's invested rather than it's an ego thing. Exactly. Uh, and like, do you find that you ever have to resolve conflicts or you have to, or like, like how do you resolve creative differences in a relationship like that to where, to a point where it's still uh, moving cohesively? Uh, creative differences. It worked out because when we did Molasses, it was me, Free, and Loesch. So that's three people. And if, if two are saying one thing and one is saying the other, we usually did it where let's sleep on it, go, go for who voted up first. So we, there was a bit of a democracy in that way, and it worked out well. And it made things a lot easier for us just to have like a buffer. If two people weren't seeing eye to eye, there was a buffer. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people would interpret that as you know as if you're you know losing a bit of your own artistic vision in it but i but i think that there's a it's a little bit more of a holistic way of looking at it because like sometimes people's instincts even if you are deep you know into a creative idea you know sometimes you can you need that outside perspective rather than having it sunk in you know being too you know tunnel visioned uh yeah and you know, I, w I will say that there was times when each of us had our moment where we felt very strongly about something and the other two would just understand and we'd, we'd compromise and work with that. So we each also had our moment where it's like, this is too important for me. I need you to do that. And, we, and we'd meet on that. It was a lot. You have to have a lot of trust working in the room the way I work with these guys. You have to have nothing but trust because they're, they're taking it into their own hands so so much it's not it's not just mine anymore it's theirs as well but i really enjoy that about working with them yeah i would say letting go is probably one of the most difficult parts of that of of, of collaboration in general um seeding power if you will it is how does the lyrical process you know work for you uh, i mean on um which track was it on molasses it's play the fool uh you know you had said with uh I think you sent a message to Fader and you were like, how, 
you know, it was about mistakes you made in a previous relationship. And like, do you mind from your personal life? Like, how does, how, how do you, how does that writing process work for you? I'd, I'd say everything I write is from personal life. Uh, often it's a collection of stories put into one just to, to help a point of view be seen thoroughly. When, when I write, however, I do usually write in studio. Uh, I prefer that to writing at home or not to say I don't write at home at all. I just don't usually write my music at home or I don't write what I end up recording at home. I just write for practice so or you're, for you're the not, art of it. So you're not bringing in like a book full of lyrics and like, okay, guys, this is what I've put down. It's kind of creating everything together at the time. It is. I, I usually disappear and, and go for a smoke and I'll write for maybe five, ten minutes. I'll come back with a bit of an idea and then I'll record that so the guys know what, what kind of energy I'm working with as well so they can continue producing while I continue writing. And then we're all just working in our corners for a moment, and eventually it comes too. How do you find you know your personal life now versus molasses for the for the writing process? Like how how like if I'm for people listening from one to the other, like what would you say the biggest difference is? I'm more, I'm more driven. I've I've got a. I understand things a little bit more. I understand my life a little bit more. I know what I want out of it. Molasses, I was just starting to figure it out. I'm still figuring out who I was and what I wanted. I'm I'm in a position to walk forward rather than sideways. That's how I've been feeling lately, and it's 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 been more of a jog than a, a walk. It's I'm enjoying life. Things things are going well. Things can and will be better, but things are going well. I mean, if you're saying that amidst a global pandemic, that's pretty good. I mean, you're, you're uh, I mean, because it's it's been hard to you know be you know mentally well lately. I want to circle to. So you directed the video for Roxy. Um, what was that like for you? You know, like was filmmaking something that you wanted to do? Like you had been passionate about? Like how did that whole thing come together? I have always wanted to get into film. Um, I wrote that treatment late last year mid to late last year and then i showed it to i actually showed it to my girlfriend and she told me i need to do something with this i was like okay maybe maybe people will like it and i was unsure about the entire thing i just kind of wrote it on a whim i didn't even know if i was going to try to shoot it and when i started working with sideways studio i sent them the treatment just like i had an idea about this maybe you guys want to shoot it i didn't have any full intentions with it it was just we were starting to work together and I was showing them kind of the ideas I had in general and they took that and within a few days they had the uh they had the tech treatment they had the treatment written out fully because this was my first time writing one so they had the treatment done out properly they the producer had already started working out contacts and they told me I was going to be directing and I was actually surprised I didn't I had no intention to direct this video, but I'm very happy they did bring that to the table because I, I should have just asked for that quite honestly. I wrote the, the entire thing and I'm really happy they did that because I enjoyed it a lot. It felt natural. They're an easy team to work with and I'm definitely going to continue doing it for myself and hopefully for others. You know, it's interesting because when you're working in one medium, I find 
you know, or, or one art form, you get a confidence for it. But then when you go into other ones, like, like, were you, like, how were you instinct wise? Like, did you kind of just ride it out or, you know, were you, was it something you were nervous about? Something you had misgivings about uh, going into it? You know, what was, you know, what was your thought process with that? I was, uh, I was definitely nervous about it because it was a fairly big production for it being my first, but the the guys I was working with, they, they told me step by step what my job would be as a director. They told me the day before and they took, when I got there on the day of, I had my, I had my clipboard and I knew what I needed to get done. And it made, it did make it a lot easier that I was the artist. So ultimately it would, it was my say. So I was the artist and I was the lead producer. It just felt like I was touching everything again, all over again. If you're if you're an artist, and this is especially in I find in hip hop, like it's almost like they hip hop's created these media auteurs where mm-hmm. they're into their hands are in everything now in terms of videos and stuff like that. You see this with artists like Amine. Um, like, is this something that you really think about now, you know, or is it something that you've had to adapt to, uh, from getting, you know, being a musician and now it's just like kind of the reality of it, or is it something you were always interested in? It's something I was always interested in and it kind of came to naturally because I have ideas for every aspect of what I'm doing. So I should be overseeing these ideas. Uh, even if I'm not the one to ultimately execute it. I want I want to know what that person's doing. I don't want to leave it up to other people. I want to work on it with that person. And it it kind of gives you a look into the artist's head. Like you really know what they're like if they touch everything. And it, I think that also adds a nice touch to the music when you can go and attach yourself to all of these these different aspects of their creativity. How do you view yourself, you know, in the in the Toronto music scene? Like, what do you think of the Toronto music scene as it, as it stands right now? Um, the Toronto music scene is interesting. It's, it's full of talent. There's talent everywhere in the Toronto music scene, but, uh, there's no infrastructure. There's, there's so few places where we can all go and say, yeah, I've been there. If that makes any sense, there's 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 just no central aspect to it, and it's kind of troubling because there's all these people who are who should be working together, who should be constantly around each other, but there's just not enough of a cohesive scene. I think that's why it's hard to know where I fit in in the Tor- Toronto music scene, because I don't know where anybody fits in in the Toronto music scene. It's you're just kind of circling, you're just kind of bubbling around with everybody until you pop up out just out ever so slightly above them. And then there's only a few people who have uh, even done that. It's interesting because I think any scene is kind of characterized by these central meeting places almost where, you know, these hubs. uh, I mean, like, for example, in New York, it was places like CBGBs and stuff like that, where, you know, there's these haunts where people all kind of get together and exchange ideas do you think that ego plays into it because i find that sometimes the lone wolf idea it's almost like some people are afraid of collaboration because i don't think some people are as open to um seeding control like you are right i uh it's it's 
it's strange. We we could really use something like that here. I don't. I have no idea where I would even begin to go. To be honest with you, there are places like, you know what? I I have to give credit to the Remix Project. They've done that for a lot of young artists. Uh, but I think once you're off doing your own thing, and it, it's such an independent world for artists as well, it's really hard to to find yourself grounded in anything. If you don't feel grounded, then nobody feels secure enough to give up some of their creativity to another artist when they, they know they don't know what they're up to either. They don't know what they're doing either. And it just kind of becomes this like shark tank. Mind you, there's a few small scenes where people are beginning to become more receptive and there's a lot of love in the city. It's just this, collaboratively, it's really difficult in the city, I have to say. Not that people aren't willing, there's just, we don't have the spaces we don't have the the common networks there's there's just there's nobody overseeing things so to speak like uh in atlanta there's a there's a like coach you know there's there's people in each city who make sure things happen and we don't have anybody doing that here yet yeah i think burst like if you look at you know, early 2000s, uh, in Toronto Indie, you're looking at arts and crafts records, you know, broken social scene, you've forgotten people kind of blew things up. Um, and then, you know, as you move later into that decade, early 2000, you know, you're looking at OVO. And I find that it's often structured around labels and artists when it needs to be maybe structured around something else. It's more like a culture around it because then you become tied to, you know, one label's success rather than, I mean, you saw this in Seattle with Sub Pop too. So, you know, it's it's almost like it it helps you get recognized when there's a small concentration, but then also if Atlanta isn't just a hip hop scene anymore, you know what I mean? It's it's part of the the hip hop culture. It's part of the lexicon. It's a it's a hotbed, and I don't think that's going away. Whereas, you know, again, like scenes like Seattle, and I, I worry of Toronto as well. That mm -hmm. um, it's had its moment in the sun but doesn't have what you're saying, you know, that thing that propels it and keeps it going. The impresarios, if you will. It doesn't. And uh, I'm not sure if it's, it, it's been here a long time. So, I mean, it can't be because it hasn't been here long enough because it's, it's been in Toronto shortly after. The hip hop scene has been in Toronto since just after New York. They weren't far behind. Uh, so I, I can't, and so many things have been torn down. So many different structures and venues have been torn down. Um, I don't recall the name of it, but my parents used to tell me about uh, a hall right downtown around like Bloor Street, I believe. I don't recall the name of it, but there was battles that used to go on over there. And people, uh, hip, hip hop artists would come from New York and battle there. And we don't have anything even like that anymore. Not that, not that battles are at the top of any hip hop scene in any city right now, but we don't have any venues. And that's where it needs to start. We have no venues. It's interesting because gentrification is playing huge into that right now. And I don't think people look at that because I think they look at it. They look at things like that just from a, um, a, a personnel sense and not how the economics of a city also play into it for better or for worse. Like in some ways it can propel the music. It did that with punk, especially in New York and London. But, mm -hmm. you know, in a town like Toronto where there is such talent money coming in and removing you know the things the the elements of culture that really you know add originality I, I, that takes away from you know what artists are trying to do i think it does it absolutely does it's one of the troubling things about living in this city i'll say for you like what are you like what are you like what are you looking for in music like what is f success for you and how do you 
how do you measure yourself? Um, find, I believe there's a, you can find success artistically, which I think I've begun, I've, I'm doing at the moment. I'm really happy about what I'm making and what I'm doing, but it is, I do want to do this for a living and I do want to do it for a long time. So ultimately my goal is not only to retain ownership of my music, but also start a platform for other artists in whatever capacity that means. So I don't want to just be an individual artist. I want to be involved in music in general for the rest of my life. So I think finding a way to do that is success for me. Just being a lifetime musician. The ownership of your music. uh, This is, I mean, this is what caused Prince to turn him himself into a unpronounceable symbol um, mm-hmm. because the, the idea of owning your, it's like the only, as a musician or an artist in general, the only commodity you have is what you create. Um, you see this it's with someone like Michaela Cole and, you know, saying, I'm not going to go any, anywhere that doesn't let me own things. Like how important is ownership for you and for, um, you know, artists coming up in the world? Is it more in the consciousness now of requiring that? I believe because it's becoming easier and easier to be independent, it's only a matter of time before we don't need, there's no reason to give up ownership. So holding on to it is something that I believe everybody should be working to do. I'm not saying, you know, there's star making power in major labels, of course. So it's, it's a matter of if you believe you'll be one of their successful artists and get a smaller piece of a much bigger pie. But then at that point, you've sold most of yourself. They, you own a small percentage of everything you create. And I just, I don't think I need to be that guy. I don't need to be chased down the streets just to not own myself. It doesn't seem like anything I need for myself. So I'd rather just own my music. And that's, that's a, I can hand that down. My kids will have that. My grandkids will have that. Whatever that makes, that'll still be in my family, and that's something I can I can give. If I want to be a musician for my entire life, then that's what I should be able to hand down is my music, not money. <laughs> it's interesting because you even get people like Paul McCartney who are trying to were at one point trying to buy their masters, and that's a beetle. You know what I mean? So I think that speaks to how kind of poisonous the industry can be. And I mean, I've had friends who've toured and you know been in you know been in the grind. There is definitely now, especially looking at, I mean, because, you know, major labels still act as a gatekeeper, but I think given that you can now just, you know, put your album on Spotify and you can work the promotion yourself, it's kind of changing our notion of it. And I'm actually kind of surprised there hasn't been an even bigger move towards independent, like more independent music, even escaping uh, independent labels for that matter, instead of just loose collaboration. I I think... uh the gatekeepers have found a way to keep that from happening up till now. You know, it's it's the last thing so many, so many people want. It's the last thing so many people want because they're making so much money off of this industry. But I do believe that the DSPs will be the one to break it in some way or another. Like Spotify and Apple, they're, like, they're going to be the ones that make it possible for us to be fully independent. Not just them, but somebody's going to have to work with them and then it'll happen. So moving forward, um, what's next for you? What is, uh, are you already writing the next one? Um, how's that going? And also like not being able to perform live, like how are you kind of adjusting to that whole situation? 
I am already writing the next one. We've, but we have, we're working on some, uh, some live recordings, you know, so I'm still working with my guys in the studio, which is nice. I'm able to play music. I may not be able to share it at the moment, but I am able to play. And that's helped. That's been therapeutic. But at the same time, I am already working on the next one. I was done the next project and I scrapped it. <laughs> but you were done I'm, it and you scrapped it. That's yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, because lavender has been done for for a while now. So the next one, I've just I've been sitting on it for too long, and it's you know, start fresh. And pretty much when just maybe two three months ago, I started writing the next one, which I won't talk about too much. But I'm working with some new people. And it's exciting. On that note, Terrell Morris, thank you so much for your time. And uh, th this album is really great. And I, I absolutely can't wait for the next one. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad you enjoyed the project. Cool. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon.